This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, a Canadian company is taking dangerous used tech like car batteries for electric cars and transforming it into something that we can use. Samreen Rattan, co-founder of Moment Energy on the West Coast, tells us how her company is working to reuse those electric vehicle batteries and use them inside homes and businesses to provide power because they have lots of life left. Does Russia's mobilization mean good news for Ukraine? Lawyer and former judge Mikhailo Zarenkov is live with us from Ukraine and he brings us the latest on the war plus his look on the war in general and his winter creeps closer check your garage because you might have some vintage gold in there old hi-fi electronics are selling for a ton online handy editor helps us understand what thrifters are hunting for this is the shift podcast what could you make money from that you already have lying around the house well your buddy handy andy could have some tips He is a disco dancer, but he's our disco dancer. HandyAndyMedia.com. It's Andy Barrar is here. He's handy. He's handsome. And he's got some tips on how you can uh, maybe make some dough. Yeah, you know, times are tough. People don't realize that inside their garage or up in their attic, they probably got a gold mine of old products that they could sell and make a killing on. So I thought I'd discuss some of the more popular vintage electronic products out there that you can you know, make you a, a lot of money if you still have it. And it's funny because a lot of this, you know, there's a period of time where you just think it's junk, but if you could hold mm-hmm. on to it long enough, it suddenly becomes vintage and you can make a lot of money. So uh, if we go for the big kahuna, if you have a first generation Apple iPod and it's sealed, like you never opened it, $20,000. That's what you can wow. get for it right now. If you have That's the first First generation iPhone sealed. So that would have been 2007. If you had that sealed unopened, you'll make $12,000. So it always shows you, and we've, we've seen this before, Shane, you know, unopened products, just kind of like baseball cards or hockey cards. If you have it in the package, uh, you can make a lot of money. Speaking of which, back in like 1992, McDonald's gave out these hockey cards, mm-hmm. and I have a whole pack of them still in the package. Really? And uh, a friend of mine does a lot of trade. He trades baseball cards online. So I asked him, you know, am I, can I retire? Like, did, did I do something right when I was 12? <laughs> and he's like, no, Andy, they're worthless. <laughs> mm. I don't know if he's lying to me, but I'm going to give them to him because uh, he gonna, he's, he's like, yeah, I'll give you 10 bucks for him. So you feel good. And then he, yeah, then he yeah. retires. Then he retires. I know. But uh, in terms of products that people might have, the Sony Walkman, it was the model was a WM8. Believe it or not, you can get about $11,000 for this. And the reason really? why was this Walkman was featured on season four of Stranger Things. And so this new generation no is way. looking at this vintage gear and they're like, ooh, and now everybody wants it. So if you have it, you can make a killing. <laughs> That's, you realize how terrible that is? I mean, they saw it on a TV show. Therefore, I got to have it. It's like yeah. f- it's fashion. Well, we're, we're old, Shane. So we think about this stuff like, yeah, we live through that. But you got to understand there's people like Ryan who's like, what? What is that thing? What, what is a cassette? You know, and how, do, how does mm-hmm. this thing work? So well, I suppose they, they, they see it and then they want it. I, I, if I, I put it into context, 
I found a um, there was a couple of things that I found online that I was really curious about. One was an old telephone, the ones that you know you had the separate handset just for your ear, yeah. and then you spoke into the standing one with your mouth. And another one was the old um, the old telegraph, the beep 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 things that you hit. Um, and um, I found those vintage online, um, and I was like, you know, those would be really cool. I wonder if I could make like coat hangers out of the. You know, out of that stuff. So I was, uh, you know, so you do get kind of curious because you get reminiscent of the memories of the old things. But I feel like our memories of our old things are so much cooler because they made out like handcrafted out of wood and metal and all that. And these things are like plastic trinkets from the 80s. Like it doesn't seem like it's the same. Absolutely. Like, for example, the Nintendo Entertainment System, the action set that came with the gun. Remember Duck Hunt, the game Duck Hunt? Yeah. If you have that. That's worth almost four grand today, really? believe it or not. And uh, I remember oh, my, my cousin God. had it, and I used to play it all the time. And I, I was like, I want to ask all my family members, like, uh, hey, uh, whatever happened to that Atari or that Coleco that you had back in the day? You know, like, I just, maybe... we joke about it a lot here on the shift about the Commodore 64. I just found one for sale online. Oh, that's my favorite computer. That's my OG. That's where I learned everything really? was on the Commodore 64. Yeah. Um, and so I, I found that fascinating. Um, the Coleco, the Intellivision, I have the Intellivision 2. Um, one of the, uh, the emulators, it looks just like it's smaller version of it, kind of like the, the NES, the little one, right? The classic, whatever they called that one. Do you remember the, here's a console that, that didn't really make it, but we thought back when it first came out, it was going to be a big deal. Turbo Graphics 16. Do you remember that I, one? I remember the name. I didn't have it though. Yeah, no, so this was during Nintendo when it was 8-bit, and then there were like TurboGrafx-16. We're like, 16 bits, oh my God. But it never really, you know, took off. And so I bet you, so the way you do it is if you have all this vintage stuff or something that you think might, you know, have value, you have to go check on eBay. That's the best place. But you have to remember, people are just posting what they want for it. So a good trick is if you go into eBay and you filter it to see what was sold, then you can see the price that it was sold at. And that'll give you a better idea of, of the value of certain types of things. For example, Super Mario Brothers 3. This game was a life changer for me back in, I, I believe it came out in 1989. If you hmm. have it sealed, you can make $2,500. And I, yeah. do you remember when that game came out, Shane? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. It was huge. There was actually a movie, believe it or not, Fred Savage was in it. It was called um, The Wizard. And it was about this like kid. I think he was like autistic. He didn't talk, but he was just awesome at video games. And so they had this Nintendo tournament and he went to the finals. And that's where they introduced Super Mario Brothers 3 for the first time. So we got to see the gameplay for the first time in this movie. And there was this magic flute, this certain like trick where you had to go underneath this cave or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was it was showcased in that movie. So like back in the eighties, they tied it really nicely with like Nintendo Power magazine. They had movies, and then they had the game release, so they could build that hype for a new uh, Super Mario Brothers game through all those uh, types of uh, mediums. And um, to this day, it's still one of the most popular games ever. Uh, I still, when I look at the cover, it just it takes me back and makes mm-hmm. me feel like a kid again. Although I did play Utopia on Intellivision 2, and it was terrible. <laughs> I remember it being so much cooler. Well, um, it, 
the thing oh, about these consoles, these old consoles, you know, like how do you connect them to modern day televisions? That's another mm-hmm. problem that you have. Like if I could get my hands on, say, an old Atari or even a Nintendo or Super Nintendo, I, I guess there are modules that you could probably buy to turn mm-hmm. it into HDMI to do it. But those CRT, like the old school televisions, I think it was called the CRT uh, style screens mm-hmm. where they had that mm-hmm. bulb in the back. Those those can sell for a lot these days because all the vintage arcade games, the, the players want those old TVs to kind of recreate it. So you can build your own arcade stand, but you need those old TVs and they just don't make them anymore. And that's one of the hardest parts to find. So if you have an old CRT television, oh man, you can make some uh-huh. good coin on that, especially if it works, of course. Uh, text from Trucker Kevin says, What? I have Nintendo original with the gun and other accessories and the Duck Hunt game. Oh, so, man. He's, he's, uh, there you he's, go. he's going to have to retire soon with that if, once he sells that. A text came in when we talked about this last night from Dawn and Pembroke. He says, Shane, I have a Morant's turntable that I use that's apparently worth upwards of $850. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of money to be made if you, um, if you get on it. You got to find yeah, out, though. I, you got to take the risk and you got to do a little Googling. Yeah, so don't do what I did. See, I had a bunch of stuff in my parents' house, like old amplifiers and such. And so I just threw it on uh, Facebook Marketplace, like the collection, a tape player, CD player, amplifier, and a turntable. Hmm. And I got so many responses. And then I realized everybody wanted the turntable. And so I Googled the turntable. It was an Akai turntable from the 70s. And it was very, very popular. And that's what people want. So I took the post down. Because I realized that uh, I didn't do enough homework on checking all of these products on eBay or, or you can check it on Marketplace, Craigslist, uh, Kijiji. Do your homework to find out what the value is because you might try to sell something, say at a garage sale, and it could be worth a lot. Ryan, you were just telling me about an amplifier that you got um, that turned out to be worth a lot, a lot of money. Oh, yeah. It's a Marantz from the 70s, 1975, I believe. We bought it from a friend for $60, and when we refurbished it, we found out it was worth close to $8,000. When we brought it into the record store to get it fixed, the guy who ran the store said, I will give you $1,000 in-store credit and $200 cash if you leave that with me right now. We said no, and now we have this piece of 70s tech that will blow our speakers if we put the volume knob over 25. It is unbelievable. Oh, cool. Nice. So this uh, is cool I got to see a picture of that. Yeah. See, I, and oh, I think a beautiful. lot of listeners right pick. now yeah. are sitting on, on, on these products that they probably had or they were hand-me-downs or they just kept you know, in the garage. Take a look. Do some research. You never know. You might be sitting on a gold mine, especially – for vintage electronic and, and audio products. For some reason, there's a lot of gearheads out there. They love that old vintage, especially from the, like, the 70s and the 80s. If you like to listen to the audio books, it's a great way to listen to books. I I do find that when I'm driving, I have to skip back often to do it. But there are some new ways to do books as the competition is going way up. Yeah, it looks like Spotify wants to get into the audiobooks uh, business. So, of course, Spotify was known for music and everybody would subscribe to that. Then in 2015, they introduced podcasts onto Spotify and now they have 4.4 million podcasts, believe it or not, available on Spotify. 
And now it looks like they're going to go into audiobooks uh, because they see it as an untapped market. Now, currently, the the um, the direct competitor for audiobooks right now is Amazon-owned Audible. They have a 41% market share currently. So it looks like um, Spotify is going to try to take over this market. But here's the thing. With your Spotify subscription, you still have to buy the book on top of it. So you can find the book in Spotify, but you're still going to have to purchase it. And I don't know if it'll take off or not. I'm interested to hear what you think, Shane. Well, I think that the uh, first of all, I apologize for the very loud airplane that flew over. By the time I realized it was there, I, yeah, what was that? that anyway? That was a big airplane flying over. The windows open. It was hot here today. The uh, and so I uh, anyway. By the time I realized it was there, I couldn't. It would have been more obvious if I. My apologies. The thing about audiobooks is that those people need to get paid, and so you can't really include it that way in order for people to get paid. It's different, right? It's a different kind of deal. I think it's great. I think that if you're saving money and you're getting your audiobook. I mean, you pay for audiobooks on most other platforms anyway. You get it, you keep it, but it's the thing is, is that you don't actually have the book, right? Like, it's not a tactile book. You can't, if you have books in your library, you can give, if I die, I can give books to my kids and say, here, here's all the books. But if I die, my account dies and all the money that I invested on books, they go away. That's the problem I have with subscriptions. Yes, and and it's a digital, you know, it's like you don't actually tangibly own it. Here's a trick, though. A lot of people might not know this, but a lot of local libraries, you can take out audiobooks, believe it or not. Hmm. So that's a, a great trick if you don't want, if you like to listen to the books, but you don't want to pay for it. You know, and I, I see libraries, I think this is the sign of the times where they should just start, you know, you could, I guess, loan out an audiobook instead of a real hmm. book. Um, because like well, you said, when, yeah. you, when you're driving or you're going for a walk, it's a great thing to listen to. Well, and you can't go, just like you said, you can't go, hey, I got this great book you should read. I think you'd really love it. You can borrow it. Give it back to me when you're done. You can't do that either, right? So uh, that's the thing. HandyAndyMedia.com is his website. Andy Barrar is here with us on The Shift. Your DIY gardening is one of your favorite things to do. Your pergola, as you did earlier in the year, is really nice. Shiftheads.ca, you can see it. Yes, I, I basically I did a before and after because I built this in the spring. I didn't know if it was going to really work. Boy, did it work. I wish everything that I built, Shane, worked as good as this does because, huh. as you know, my, my whole blueberry fiasco never really worked out. But this, no. I don't even know what it's called. I, I just call it a vegetable pergola, but basically it's to grow vegetables vertically. And then you can create like a ceiling of green. And I want people to go shiftheads.ca. You can see it. I'm like literally picking beans like right above me and and it's a completely automated watering system. So many people like this, Shane, that people are like, how much would you charge to build that on my property? And I, cool. I think about seven people have asked me. So I'm building another one on my property just so that I can figure out, you know, what the material cost would be, what the time cost would be so that I can get a price because this Next spring could be my new side hustle. You know, uh, on the weekends, I build vegetable <laughs> pergolas to to make ends meet, um, especially with inflation. You know, everybody needs a side hustle these days. And I think that might be mine. So I really encourage people to check it out. See what it looks like if you're into gardening or just growing your own food. Uh, this is a design that I just kind of came up with during the winter. I was really bored. I was kind of sketching it out. And then as soon as spring hit, I built it. And I can't believe how well it worked. And uh, cool. now I might be building it for other people. Uh, you're listening to Pergola Andy here on The Shift. I'm Shane Hewitt. Um, what kind of stuff do you have growing on it? So I was growing squash, tomatoes, peas, uh, beans, 
pretty much anything that climbs, you can grow with it. So um, the, the interesting thing is different types of plants finish or harvest at different times. So right now, I still have tomatoes that are going red right now. So every day before breakfast, I go out there, grab some tomatoes, throw them into an omelet, grab some beans. Uh, it's pretty cool. You know, I, it's like having a live like garden or a live grocery store in your front lawn. So uh, much better than having grass, I'll tell you that. You do a community garden now that it's the end of the season. How's that going? Is it still, you're still cranking out the, the lettuce and the kale for the for the community? What I did is I let it flower. All of the lettuce, the kale uh, has been flowering. And what's funny is a lot of the old folks, when they walk by during their daily walks, they get it. They see what I'm doing. And now they're collecting all the seeds and taking it home. So not only is it a community garden, now it's a community seed garden. So people That's are collecting cool. the seeds and then taking it back home. But the younger people don't really realize that. But all the old timers, they, they know what's up. They know what I'm doing. And yeah. uh, they're actually taking it. You got those slow shuffle old timers in your neighborhood, the guys that walk every day, they do the slow shuffle, peaceful as can be. And you look at them and go, God, how are you just so peaceful all the time? Like, yeah, one, like one guy, one, one old timer, he left a book in my, in my mailbox on how to grow blueberries. <laughs> so, uh -oh. uh, <laughs> really? Does he listen to the shift? That could be our fault. No, he just saw my, my dead blueberries walking by. And so he <laughs> sent me, he left a book in my, in my mailbox. Oh, Oh, that's great. I love it. That's great. That's subtle, right? That's his subtle intervention on, hey, hey kid, yeah. I got your back. <laughs> that yeah, was but terrible. He likes, he likes that I keep trying. So uh, that's good. Yeah, I made a new friend. All right. HandyIDmedia.com. Do Andy a favor and throw him a follow on his YouTube channel. Then you'll get notified when there are new to YouTube videos. And you can also follow those links too at shiftheads.ca. It'll take you right there on our Facebook group. This is The Shift Podcast. Here on The Shift, I have really been vocal about bad batteries. And I don't mean like batteries are terrible and evil. Just as we make this journey to new kinds of energy and being more responsible in our world, that if we're simply deferring the problem by having bad minerals, no place to put them when they're done... That, that doesn't work. All industry, all industry, I'm a capitalist without a doubt, like hands down, but all industry needs to have an end of life plan for their products. There has to be something there. Is it their responsibility to do it? Not necessarily. You know, you buy the toy truck, you recycle the metals in the toy truck. That's your job as the consumer. But there needs to be an opportunity for a place to take it. Where do you take it? Where does it go? And that's where this conversation starts. It is centered on energy. It's so much more than just energy. Samreen Rattan with Moment Energy out of Port Coquitlam is here, co-founder. And you are, can I call you the battery lady? Can I, is that a thing? <laughs> sure. You could call me the second life battery lady. <laughs> the second life battery lady. You know, one of the things that we can talk about all the big things and we will, but Samreen, you know, one of the things that really gets me the most is that when my AA batteries die in something, remote control, say, whatever, I really don't have a place to put them other than the garbage can. And that's problematic, mm -hmm. isn't it? Of course, of course, because that's where the toxic waste gets produced. It starts at home with those batteries from consumer electronics, and then uh, you scale that up and you got electric vehicles with these large scale lithium ion batteries, and it's an even bigger problem. So where do we start? What are you excited about here? Because repurposing those old big batteries and all things energy, really, but those big batteries, um, 
you know, one of our biggest failures in life is so far anyway, is, you know, we have storage containers for gasoline. We don't have storage containers for electricity. We can't store it easily like we can other products. That's really the fundamental benefits of why we have what we have today. We can store it. We can keep it safe. We can move it. And it's in fact, one of the hardest things that's in the way of hydrogen is that exact problem. So what have you been able to find repurposing retired old batteries, reusing them, ingredients that are in them, the minerals? Where are you at? Tell us the story. For sure. Yeah. So Moment Energy, as you've um, already alluded to, is a company based in Coquitlam, British Columbia, that is repurposing retired electric vehicle batteries into energy storage systems. Uh, And we really started this business because we saw the large amount of EVs that are on the road. There's about 6 million electric cars on the road today. There's expected to be 145 million by 2030. So that number is vastly increasing. And a top question on people's minds is, what's going to happen to these batteries when they're retiring from the vehicle? Um, And when we started looking more and more into this problem, we thought, um, why aren't there any solutions out there? Uh, We know that recyclers are coming up with a way to um, really take out, extract the the precious metals from these batteries and and incorporate them into new batteries. But then the the end-of-life electric vehicle batteries actually have a significant capacity remaining. There's about 80% original capacity in those batteries when they retire from the car. Um, So taking a look at that, you actually are able to extend the lifetime of these batteries by another eight to 10 years outside of the vehicle. Um, And that's where Moment really comes in. Moment Energy is putting these second life batteries into energy storage systems. Um, So now we have systems that can store electricity, um, that can store renewable energy, and then we can deploy them for later use. And there's tons of different applications for it. So um, that's where we see a really great path for these electric vehicle batteries to go. And then after the second life, we ensure that they get recycled as well. It's an interesting notion to look at. I'm assuming it's because cars use so much torque. They need so much amperage available right away that 80% you're basically not functioning anymore. Well, by the way, when you're at home and you're turning on some LED lights or whatever, um, you don't need that kind of same massive power all the time. I mean, if you're running a electric stove or refrigerator or freezer or something, I suppose that draw would be much more. I sort of equate it to this. We talk an awful lot about cell phones, right? And you go and you get your cell phone battery dies, but it just becomes inconvenient. It isn't actually dead. It's just inconvenient. It doesn't function for us to have to charge our phone every three hours. Well, if I took the battery out of my phone and I put it into the remote control of my TV, I probably could get five or six more years out of it. Is that the kind of general principle that you're working on? Yeah, to simplify it into the consumer electronic level, that would be a really great example of what we're doing is transitioning it from one high intensive purpose into a lower intensity application where you can extend the lifetime of the batteries and really get a full lifetime value out of them. So when you talk about recyclers and all those people that are trying to find new purpose for minerals, that stuff's just not there yet. It must feel really great for you to know that, by the way, you can take these millions of car batteries that are out there and just kind of push pause, right? You can push pause, get a little more life. You suggested 10 years. If you could get 10 years and push pause is really the hope that the recyclers and all of the breakdown reuse folks are going to be able to get caught up at that point and be able to take all these batteries out of their second use and be able to put them back into uh, whether they're new products or reusing or whatever they decide to turn them into. Is that really what the hope is? Absolutely. But when we look at repurposing, it gives recyclers that extra amount of time they need to really make recycling more profitable, but also just 
more uh, sustainable because right now they're not able to recycle all the materials. Uh, when you look at different types of lithium ion chemistries, we have um, right now there's a trend towards LFP batteries that are coming out. So that's even more difficult for recyclers to um, to take on. So we're really hoping to extend the time that they have so that by the time they re these batteries retire from the second life, we have recyclers that are able to take them in, to recycle them profitably and sustainably and to use them for alternative applications after the second life. F being a, a a greeny kind of person by nature, I would suggest um, that you you are. You don't think you get into this unless you care about the things. Um, that it must be it must be pretty good to know that ideally you work yourself out of a job here because, as the example that you're setting is, by the way, when you guys create these batteries, you need to have a plan of where they go next. Now, if they go into houses, that's great, or how they get broken down, that's even better. So you really do get to work. You're kind of like a Kind of like a fitness trainer, right? You take the person that's not fit and then you train them and teach them how to live life and be fit and then you're out of a job, but you win because you did it. That must feel pretty great <laughs> when you go to work every day. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think in this business, there's always ways to make sure that you are, um, you're you're staying relevant. You're keeping up with the latest um, things that are happening. So for us, that means that as battery technology evolves, that we're able to take in any type of battery chemistry because we know that it might not be lithium ion for a long time. Maybe we'll send these batteries off to their second life and now we have a new chemistry to deal with. Um, so, you know, being in the reuse space, is, it's constantly going to be evolving. And as a startup, we're evolving with it. Well, and that's was my next question is the technology change changes so quickly and much like, you know, different technology battles it out, i.e. Sony, uh, PlayStation and Xbox, right, for technology or um, VHS and beta for the older video users. The reality is, is that, um, it's not all the same. And how do you incorporate that into your world? What does that look like? So I call and I say, Samarine, I want you to come with Moment Energy and I want you to put in a battery stack in my house, make it awesome because I want to be able to um, reuse some of the uh, electricity that, you know, I've got a couple of panels on my roof or whatever. Um, how is it that uh, that you guys are able to pull that off with all of these things changing? I just imagine it being like, Oh, what was it? it? Was in Breaking Bad? Did you watch Breaking Bad? Partially. <laughs> yeah, there's a scene in Breaking Bad where there's a laptop that's in the police station, and they need to get the laptop, destroy the laptop. So they build a gigantic magnet out of like this back of the truck is filled with batteries that are all in series together to make them uh, really, really powerful. So I kind of imagine my garage floor being covered in car batteries. So I realize yeah. that's not the case. So help us understand what this would look like. Yeah. So. When we install our batteries in Second Life applications, we are, there's lots of different places we could use them. Um, we originally started off in the residential space, but we've moved away from that. So we repurposed the batteries into um, systems that can be installed in commercial and industrial applications. Uh, so we have our, our standardized system right now, which we've used, we, we have optimized for Mercedes-Benz batteries. Um, and essentially the same system uh, or similar system can be created for any other OEM. Um, so we've got a lot of different partners and we're creating systems for all the different OEMs that we're working with. And essentially we're designing it in a way so that as the battery technology evolves, that we can insert these battery modules into our systems with minimal internal design changes. That's the stage we're aiming to get at. Um, but when it comes to different chemistries um, and different types of batteries, since we have such a big variation, the battery management system component is extremely important. So we, we need to have this 
software and electronics um, system that can balance the cells safely, that sends us safety alerts, um, that disconnects the system if any issues arise. Um, so we have a BMS that we're using that does that. And we're also creating an, uh, a second life optimized battery management system uh, to be able to handle the additional variation that will come in, in the next few years. Um, so that's really the way that we're tackling this issue. And we know that other Second Life companies have come across the issue as well. So it sets us apart from other companies and puts, a, puts us in a place where we can license this BMS or battery management system technology to other Second Life companies as they emerge as well. Mm-hmm. Which is great, which is an ability to basically monitor the system and make sure it's working and safe. Um how do what where can I use this today? I feel like if I'm, you know, residentially, maybe out at, you know, my cabin off the grid, if I'm a commercial user, industrial user, maybe I've got a, sto- a series of storage lockers that are just outside town that I really don't want to dig power for, but systems like this would be really great for me. What kinds of applications can can we find this in or does this uh, really get exciting for? The, the applications that we are focused on right now are what we call off-grid and on-grid commercial and industrial applications. So in the off-grid space, uh, we have wilderness lodges or mining sites or aquaculture sites that are using diesel generators to power their buildings. Uh, so in those applications, we can install our energy storage systems to really optimize uh, the diesel generator performance. So they're able to down, the customer can downsize their diesel generator. They can um, reduce the amount of hours that it's operating. So it kind of operates like a hybrid vehicle where you have the battery and you have the um, gas combustion engine, same idea for these off-grid commercial buildings. So they save quite a bit of fuel. So fossil fuel consumption goes down, cost savings are there. And then in addition, now they have the infrastructure to install renewables. So if these building owners want to go completely on solar and energy storage, they're able to do that because they can charge our systems using solar during the day. And then at night when there's no sun available, then they can draw from our energy storage systems to power the building. Um, So we've done quite a few applications or installments in that area. And on top of that, there's um, on-grid applications. So this is for commercial industrial facilities that have high peak demand charges from the grid. So these guys are, have utility power available, but they're just being charged a significant amount of money when they turn on all their manufacturing lines and have this peak in power use. Um, so with energy storage, you can actually reduce that peak and save them hundreds of thousands of dollars in their operational costs. Uh, so that's more of a future application that we're, we're going towards. But right now we're focused on the off-grid space. It's really kind of endless, really, where it goes. I mean, even if it does nothing... You know, you talk about diesel generators. The reality is there's a lot of diesel generators that provide power in this world. And diesel itself is very, very efficient. Um, Not always the cleanest, depending on how it is run through DEF or not. And those things are, you know, happening everywhere all the time. If you go to even islands in the Bahamas, there are entire islands that are run off these generators that are tucked away. They don't have an extension cord that plugs into the mainland, right? So that must be pretty exciting to think that even if you do nothing but accomplish efficiency, even if you picked a number, you could pick an arbitrary number, 10%. 10% would make a massive difference in you know, um, use of fossil fuels, but not only just use of fossil fuels, use of fossil fuels not efficiently. Generators that are running, that maybe are old generators that are cranking out electricity all the time, but they don't throttle up, throttle down, depending on need. Like the, the, the impact here even if you don't go all the way, could be very substantial just by creating efficiency. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what we've seen in the applications that we're serving. And I think that something people forget is that 
you need all these different components out there uh, to really have a sustainable way of uh, using energy. And we need hybrid vehicles, we need electric vehicles. There's still a need for diesel generators right now. We can't fully get rid of them, but we can make them more efficient. We can find ways to reduce the amount of fuel that we're using. Um, so those that's what we're trying to do. And eventually we'll get to a world where we can have most 100% renewable energy, but just where we are today, we have to take those baby steps towards it. And, and that's where we think that the hybrid operation plays a role. Where do you get most excited when you go to work and something comes up? Like, where do you go? Yeah, we're doing it. What, where is it for you? Uh, so for me, I manage our supply chain relationships. So whenever we get a new automaker on board uh, committing to a circular economy for their EV batteries, I get really excited because that's the thing that I'm bringing into the company. Um, but also seeing customers get excited about our product and seeing how our, our product is operating in the world, that's also very exciting. Yeah. Uh, for those who don't know, circular economy is this very exciting notion that it's not a recycling economy. It's not that. It's reusing, repurposing, reusing, repurposing. And now at some point it's going to die and at some point it's going to um, it's going to be recycled in some fashion. But the point is, is that we don't just use it once and then recycle it because recycling takes so much energy. I, I, I call, we have a couple of friends here on the shift that are uh, really big in circular economy. And I, I, um, I call you people, the, uh, the legitimate, like true greenies, um, like responsibility, right? Core of it is responsibility. This acceptance that look, this takes time. And if we can build in more efficiency, more responsibility through the course of time, we will find our way. And that's exciting to me, right? Reusing things, even little things for me, like we can do it at home too, thrifting and you need new dishes, right? If you don't need fancy, 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 you can probably find dishes, right? Like it's so cool and so exciting. And I think to see it on such a massive scale, that's really cool. I'm excited for you. This is fun. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I, I completely agree with that. It starts with reusing even the smallest things on a daily basis. I remember my grandpa used to take um, from the clothing wires where you have those little clips that hold onto your shorts. He would take them off of that and use those clips for um, sealing our, our grocery bags or chip bags. And yeah. he would constantly be reusing different things. So it's just a different way of viewing the world. Yeah, it's genius, right? I, I love yeah. farmers are the best at that because farmers save everything. They take this part off of that thing and, and they put it on here because it'll work. They can make it work. So, you know, we can do a better job. This is really cool. I want to take a second to acknowledge the 2022 Zero Waste Conference, too, in Vancouver, by the way, which is coming up on September 28th and 29th. If you are interested in that, it's very easy to go to a zwc.ca Zero Waste Conference. And um, you guys are introduced to us from there. And um, good luck with all of this. Will you keep us up to date, Samarine, on, on what how this unfolds for you and and some exciting things i mean i would like to see it in action this is cool of course yeah definitely we'll keep you up to date and you can check out our website for any new media announcements and we'll be i'll be at the zero waste conference as well sure for the, those who want to know throw out the moment energy website we might as well yeah www.momentenergy.com very simple there it is samarine rattan <laughs> thank you so much for being here thanks so much for having me shane This is The Shift Podcast. Here on The Shift, we have been following the stories out of Ukraine since the very beginning. Uh, we continue the conversation here tonight. And the stories that are coming out of um, 
Russia, the stories that are coming out of Ukraine, um, I guess it's with mixed emotion, right? Russia is mobilizing more troops because they're losing. So good news or bad news for Ukrainians, uh, war is definitely a pendulum, and it continues to swing now in the favor of Ukrainians. Mikhailo Zernikov as uh, a former judge, a lawyer, and an advocate for democracy inside Ukraine and the future of this country and what they stand for. Mikhailo, thanks for being here with us. Uh, thanks for having me, Shane. Hi. Uh, good morning. You're up early this morning. This is earlier than normal. Well, a little bit, but yeah, it's it's not, you know, it's... Uh, uh, yeah, it's all right. I mean, thank you. Uh, thanks. It's a good. It's a good way to start the day. <laughs> it's a good way to start the day. Thank you very much for that. All right, Mikhailo. There's so much we can talk about in in regards to what's been happening. So much. Um, let's just start with this narrative about Russians running away from Russia. I find this. Uh, very refreshing, to be honest, because of the fact that, you know, uh, citizens that may have been indifferent or complacent before when this war has yeah. landed on their doorstep now, on their doorstep, all of a sudden they're like, you know what? Get me out of here. Well, how do Ukrainians, how do you see that? How does that uh, land in conversation around coffee for you? Yeah, people say online that this might be the first case in human history when the country flees uh, from the war it started, which is weird. Um, then, it's, it's true, uh, yeah, that's it, amazing. Yeah, uh, that's. Um, I, I think you're right because uh, it's one thing to because Russians tend, you know, they tend to support the war when they see it on the TV, and that's unfortunately that's how Russia has been for I don't know for centuries probably. TV is not have not been around for for that long, but. Uh, uh, generally being just uh, imperialistic and attacking other nations, if you just look at the mere numbers of them attacking other nations in the 20th and 21st century, that's that's a very long list. So they tend to support the war as long as it do- doesn't touch them. And then when it started to actually uh, influence um, human lives, their lives, they, they, they start to flee somehow. So that's, um, that's a new develop, development. Yes, I do agree. That means if they have to mobilize, it means they're losing the war. But at the same time, it's, it's, uh, officially it says 300,000, but uh, unofficially they say it's about 1, 1. 1.2 million they want to mobilize. And still a lot of people, even though they're trained, even though they're, uh, it seems that they might not have all the equipment that they need to successfully do that. Still a lot of uh, people who will arrive at the, at the front line. So it's not necessarily good news in that sense for us because we have to fight them off. Uh, and we'll have to, um, we, have, we have to, as, as, as strange as it sounds, or maybe not strange, we have to kill them all in order to, you know, to survive because it's, nope, I don't think many people want that, but that's, that's essentially what we have to do to, you know, to keep uh, going, which is, uh, which is definitely a new development and, and, and a, you're right, it's, it's, a, it's a good news and it's not good news at the same time. Well, and that's the mixed emotion of it, Mikhailo, is that you know, nobody wants to kill anybody when it comes down to the long and short of your country surviving, though. That becomes the only option, although your president has done something that is quite interesting. There are reports that the Ukrainians are broadcasting messages into Russian troops that says, if you put down your arms and surrender, we won't tell Russia we'll say you're a prisoner of war. And that is interesting to me to think that 
you know, Ukraine is basically saying, it'll be our little secret if you quit. We won't tell them. We'll just say we captured you. And in an invitation to say, you know, give up because you don't want to be here. How does that, how does that, I mean, it seems like an incredibly kind way to sidestep the nasty, but at the same time, they are coming to kill you. Maybe it's humane. Maybe it's, I don't know. Well, we have to be creative, and I think it's a great uh, way to, um, I mean, that, that, that's really, that's something that I, I think uh, should that we should do because again we we don't want to kill people but that again we don't have another option that their enemies now officially they're combatants so it's according to any you know international law it's it's uh, it's all right to do that but um, of course the most efficient way is of course to you know to uh, to do it this way and uh, we already have reports officially that uh, the people from Russia are calling and, and asking how how to properly surrender you know to in order to not get killed and 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 such so it's it's good development uh of course we have we want to have um, as many um prisoners of war to in order to exchange for our um defenders because there's already has been a release and exchange recently about 200 uh defenders of uh, mariupol were returned to, including the uh commanders which is which is very good development but still uh Almost 2,000 are are still prisoners of war in Russia, and they're they're held in, in unhuman conditions. Uh, you could could have seen, uh, you know, that they're anorexic, they're literally underfed, they have not been given water for days. So that's that's um, that's a that's a first priority, and that's that's good that we potentially will uh, increase the number, you know, the the, the fund uh, so-called uh, of, of of the people we can ex- exchange for our defenders. So it's in all ways, I think it's a good, uh, it's a good policy. The, um, the tone is different, Mikhailo. The tone has shifted. Have you noticed that, that Ukrainians and the tone has, I mean, this is different. We've even noticed this in our conversations with our friends in Ukraine that, you know, there is a bit of a different feeling to what's going on. Yeah, in 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 a way, uh, definitely. Also, you know, there's, there's now talks about nuclear war, which is you know, or nuclear strikes at least, which is scary and uh, and new. But I mean, scary also to a certain extent because people are freaking out, of course. But at the same time, there's there's already been you know missile attacks and 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 conventional and not conventional and, and and here and there. So it's it's. Um, to a certain degree, it's become uh, um, okay. So what? You know, people people are preparing. Like I've, I've been shopping for protective gear yesterday. It's like all Fallout mode uh, now for for many people here. But um, uh, yeah, it's uh, in this regard as well. The, the you know the mode has has shifted to yeah. Um, it's fascinating. Are, is, are, you have to take it seriously, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, the threats of nuclear war. Um, at the same time, even what's going on in Russia, maybe the fact that there are streams of cars that are driving into other countries to get out of Russia, maybe that's the embarrassment that, that Putin didn't need uh, to be um, threatening these kinds of things. But at the same time, you got to take it seriously, but they have threatened this before. And the rest of the world says, well, if they do it, they're going to pay the price. But they've also said that before. So being caught in that crossroads must be difficult. True, but the situation, you know, before that, they, they only said, you know, just some propagandists mentioned it or like some minor um, officials. But now basically Putin and Lavrov said it openly. 
and that's one thing. Another thing is the situation on the um, on the front line changed, and, and it increasingly becomes the matter of their uh, staying in power and physical survivor. So that's, um, I mean, we should not underestimate it definitely and of course the, the world should prepare for that because again if we you know we've been successfully defending and all that and you know democracy but if we crumble under the threats of using nuclear weapon that's basically an open opening pandora's box basically any um north korea any any dictatorship any crazy dictator with a uh, nuclear warhead can then dictate to uh, the rest of the world um, anything pretty much if we um, if we now agree to, you know, to back down um, under this threat, so it's 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 important now to to really have a response that will not um, make it possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mikhailo Zernikov is in Ukraine now. You have shared with us, and this question, of course, comes with our typical filter that you and I have on the radio, which is uh, your privacy, which really matters in this because of your job. Um, and for those who don't know that part of the conversation, when you're an advocate for de- democracy in a place like Ukraine, uh, Russians don't want to keep you around. So you keep a pretty low profile. Um, you That's are true, from yeah. the eastern end of, of Ukraine. You do have family and friends that are on that sort of Russian border area. With these, yep. uh, the, the, um, I, I, I refuse to call them elections, right? Cause they're, the way that I described it is they're basically doing polling and surveys. They're coming to people's doors saying, Hey, knock, knock. Hello. Um, by the way, here's my friend with all the guns. Do you think we should, here's my Russian friends with all the guns. Do you think we should be Russians now? And people are like, Oh, look at all the guns. Say what you need to say to get through that. Um, you know, it's, it's yeah, a scam. Exactly. They've always been a scam. What is your, um, have you been able to hear any inside stories that you can share from, from people who are going through that? Well, luckily, I don't have currently uh, close friends uh, under occupation. Uh, but, yeah, well, there's been reports and videos even how people, you know, go around exactly like you described with, you know, the people with guns and like, oh, no, referendum, like just there in the yard, like next to the building, like, hello, God, it's it's bizarre. It's like you, you um, it's even, they're not even trying uh, to, for it to look like it's it's a real thing. But, of course, they have somehow justify it even to the today internal use for those who still believe in all this sham that you know um something some sort of um legitimacy attempt at legitimizing all these you know the the land grab and everything because what basically the logic is okay we're now there's no referendum we will call this russia and then you are attacking us not us are attacking you so now we can use nuclear weapons to uh, quote unquote uh, defend our territory or or whatnot which by the way is another um proof that you know who you who uses the nuclear arguments when they're winning the war with conventional um, means nobody so it's yeah it's um i i personally do not have the stories of that but uh, i've seen it online and it's, it just looks ridiculous in Canada, we would, in English anyway, we would call that moving the goalposts. Uh, it's sort of a reference to, usually to uh, uh, football, like, yeah, American football. What, what would you, Ukrainians, I mean, you must have a cliche for that when somebody changes the rules like that. What would you guys call it? Well, I can't, I can't really, uh, from the top of my head, um, we, don't, we don't have a, a similar, mm, 
I don't know, like, yeah, bands in the rules, basically, but I don't know. Sorry, the metaphor just, just does, all the <laughs> metaphor just escaped me. Maybe, maybe it's the early morning. <laughs> well, or it's possible that the English language is just terrible. Let's just call it for what it is, because it's, like, I don't understand. Well, no, like, I, I, love, I love, no, no, stop it. I love the English language. No. <laughs> you guys are so good with your English, and it is such the terrible language for us. We don't even get it right, and we speak it every day. And then you and your colleagues do such a good job with your English. It's so good. I don't understand how good you are at it um absolutely you're too fantastic. kind Shane. thank you thank you <laughs> okay mikhailo zernikov is in ukraine what's next mikhailo what are ukrainians doing to get ready as things cool down fall starts to settle in and getting ready for winter time because uh all of all of the the good family stories and the getting to have coffee in kiev and lviv and all these kinds of stories going to the opera house and all these things you know but bubbling in the background quietly is this this could be a really cold winter what what's happening there for everybody because you said you're shopping for some protective equipment um everybody must be getting ready yeah that's that's um on one hand you have to you know kind of anchor yourself to your previous life as much as possible to continue living of course you you donate a lot of your income to the army you you do here and there whatever it takes to to help your country win but at the same time you know it can't be all about war you you have to uh be sustainable and, and sort of you know um to be able to 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 go further uh on the other hand yes um we should not be and i think there's, there's a growing feeling that we're we should not be uh we should be more cautious basically and we should prepare for uh winter and it's, it's been officially said that we'd rather uh you know stack on uh um you know warm clothes uh, means to basically buy tourist equipment and use it inside you know uh, um your apartment or whatever if 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 uh, first of all we of course there's um there can be shortages of uh, gas and such but on the, uh, the same time the russians are threatening and they already started doing this um to attack the infrastructure even harder than they do uh meaning they will um, cause uh, shortages and they'll, the the they will attack the uh, electric grid and and uh, you know all the infrastructure that basically heats up and and that provides energy. So that uh, definitely might be the case. So people are preparing. Uh, I can't say I wish they prepared better, but again, I don't know. I don't know the statistics. My bubble kind of the, the people are um, making measures to to you know basically preparing the rest uh, i think and i wish uh we um and i hope really we 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 are prepared for that but uh, you can't you can't really be prepared because you don't know what will happen and all the if you combine all you know nu- nuclear threats and uh, and conventional arms and the mobilization and all that that's yeah that's that will be a hard winter and that that's another uh, indication on how uh, it is important to support Ukraine militarily in order to end this as soon as possible. Yes, we do not want, you know, to escalate a lot. But I mean, how much more can you escalate when already the nuclear arms are on the table? So, yeah, uh, yeah it is it is important to uh, because, again, these arms are, you know, we're continuing the battle and, and, and they are uh, we're depleting the, the, the ammo and, and, and everything. So it's. It's crucially important to to continue doing what what you guys do, and so thank you very much. What are you excited about? I mean, you and your colleagues, your family, your friends in in Ukraine. 
It's been a long go now. What are we? Are we seven? Almost every seven months? Have we just crossed seven months? Um, yeah, we yeah twenty fourth. Yes, we're now in the beginning of the eighth month of the war. Yes. Yeah, that's wild, man. It's hard to believe. Um, well, yeah. What are you excited about um, that that you really are looking forward to here as we cross into a new season? I mean, it, it's easy for us to talk about all the fear. It's easy for us to you know get on that that train track and ride that train. Really, what we need to be better at is celebrating the. Um, you know, the amazing things that Ukrainians are doing day to day. It's really the day to day people in the streets that are doing the little things that make it awesome. What are you excited about? Yeah, it is people's war, uh, definitely. And uh, what am I excited about? Well, first of all, yesterday has been announced that uh, there's, there's a new package of, of the aid from the U.S. coming, uh, some 12 billion or so, which so the Congress approved it or something like this, uh, which, um, which, of course, is, is big. And, uh, and it's good news. But what I what I am looking forward to is uh, means to really stop the Russians from increase. So what I'm trying to say, tanks, planes, long range missiles. So all the things that are so far looks they are banned, quote unquote, in order to not kind of escalate with the Russians. But again, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm no military strategist, but uh, it's just from from our point of view, it just looks it's 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 as simple as this. It's a very uh, simple equation. The sooner we get these means, the sooner we liberate the territories. The fewer people will die because again, every town we liberate, you know, there's been two more mass graves discovered in Izum, and in in addition to the one that had hundreds of people buried, um, with you know, ninety percent of them or more with the signs of torture and, and such. So it's 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 literally a pain with human uh, innocent human lives for. Um, basically each day of this war, and it's not only hard on, on the fighters and, and everybody else, it's very hard on the people under occupation. So we, we have to understand that, again, every, it's not, it's, it's these towns that were liberated that we see the atrocities, Bucha, Irpin, um, Izum, and, and so on. But these are, these are small towns, and I, I cannot imagine what happens in, you know, Kherson and Mariupol. So uh, relatively small, I mean. I mean. So that is why it's, it's, uh, we're really looking forward to increasing the military support for Ukraine so we can end this quicker. Yeah, and and from a distance, too. That's the cool part, is the new technology allows a lot of it to happen from a distance, which may has a big exactly. impact as well, Yeah, which is great. Uh, Mikhail Zernikov joins us here so regularly. You're so generous with our time. I don't think that people quite understand the magnitude of the work you every day, you do every day, and then yet you do spend time with us and also spend time chatting with me online, too, which is uh, which is really great. I'm grateful for you. Thank you, sir. Shane, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure, first of all, and it's very important to, you know, to speak out and to let the world know. So thank you very much for doing this. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.